Hey, Yenzi, another great guest we have today, a big sprinter. I think we've learned a lot about uh, who he is over the years. He's won stages in each three of the Grand Tours, and he's coming on to form at the right time. Here we are recording just during the Dauphiné. The Tour de France isn't that far away. Uh, how do you think our guest Caleb Ewan is looking with his progression? He's looking pretty good, um, <clears throat> relaxed, uh, happy, confident. And in case you folks wonder, yes, it's the Dauphiné right now, but Caleb is not racing that. That's why he has or had time for us. Next objective, Tour of Belgium and building up for the Tour de France. So I guess he is right on track. Well, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Caleb Ewan. All right, everyone. We have a, another amazing guest today, Mr. Caleb Ewan. For, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Been looking forward to this for a while. Um, got your number from uh, one of your old Monaco buddies, Nico Roach. Mm -hmm. um, I get the feeling that you may be a little bit busy with your wife, two kids, training, because you don't check your Instagram and WhatsApp messages as much as... Uh, a lot of guys that don't have two kids and a wife at home. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you face anyone that knows me, I'm pretty pretty bad at getting back to people. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not constantly on uh, Instagram or WhatsApp. And usually, when it's like if someone's asked me a question and I have to like think about it and then get back to them, I usually read it, think about it, and I'm like, all right, I need to get back to them once I've thought about it, and then I just forget to get back to them. So that that happens a lot. A couple of your ex-teammates kind of threw you under the bus because we were like, is Caleb, you know, around? They're like, oh, man, it's tough getting a hold of him and getting a response back from us. But, hey, listen, you're here now. We're going to make the most of it. Um, obviously, you're not doing the Dauphiné because that race is going on right now. Yeah. So where are you right now and how is your buildup for the Tour de France going? Um, at the moment, I'm home in Monaco. Um, it's going good. Uh, I had a win, uh, what was it, last week which was good because I've had a, a pretty average start to the season. Um, yeah, it's probably been the worst worst start of my career so far, which is not ideal. But um, yeah, it is what it is. And you know, your career doesn't always just keep going. It doesn't keep going like upwards the whole time. So you know, there's points where it's hard. But yeah, anyway, got to win now. Hopefully that's kind of got the ball rolling and uh yeah we'll see it's it's good timing because you know we're coming into the tour it's the most important race of the year um so yeah for a sprinter you know confidence is everything so hopefully now with this win hopefully maybe a few more in uh in tour of belgium and then you know i'll be i'll be hitting the tour with yeah good confidence good form and and that's all you need Talking about the tour, I mean, we might ask about how you started cycling and all that in a minute. But now if you just talk about the tour, um, is do you know your team more or less already? Um, are you going to bring enough guys for you to help you with the lead out? Or you go for breakaways or you bring a climber or you cannot cannot tell us your team yet? Um, I asked the DS the other day when I was at the race and he gave me 14 names. So I was like... Uh, that's not very helpful because I, I knew I knew those fourteen names were, yeah, were in the mix anyway. But you named yeah fourteen names. You named half the team. So uh, to be honest, I don't know exactly which 
direction that they will go. Obviously, I prefer if they went more with like a complete sprint team. Um, but yeah, I think especially up until my win the other day, they probably had lost a little bit of confidence in me and thought, all right, we maybe need to put our eggs in, you know, some other baskets instead of just putting out all our eggs in one basket and, you know, with a guy that hasn't won anything yet this year. So maybe after the win, they'll be a bit more confident now, but, uh, we'll see. Definitely. There'll be a few guys with me for sure, but, um, I don't think it's going to be a, a full team to, to support me. Well, gosh, that that just piques my interest there a little bit because um, you're talking to a guy that has a Pmax of maybe a thousand watts. Uh, I don't know what sort of watts that you guys you can push, but definitely not a sprinter. So, but confidence, obviously, confidence is priority number one for a sprinter. But there is so much more that goes into the training for sprinters nowadays than probably ever before. Do you get the confidence from when you're out training doing sprint workouts or doing like climbing sort of lead out like longer intensity efforts? Like how do you know when you're ready to win? For a mixture of all of them. Because, you know, you have to have all of them to be able to win the sprint. You can't just have... You know, you can't just go out and do some five-second sprints and get a huge max power and you're like, all right, I'm ready to win races. Obviously, you need need everything. And I think it's just you feel like you guys would know, like you feel there's a point in your preparation where something just clicks and you feel like, all right, I'm ready now. Like you recover way quicker from your efforts and just like the what, like, you know, if you're doing a, let's say, for an example, 10 minutes of 400 watts, where maybe before when you're doing that, it was like an absolute stretch to do that. Whereas then like, you know, once you get to that good point, when you do those really hard efforts, you just kind of feel like you're, you're always just on top of the gear. You're not pushing against it. So it's just like, you just know you have that feeling. And to be honest, like I leading up to that race that I won the other day, it was probably the first time this year that I actually had that feeling. And I even said to my wife, like, I feel, you know, I'm feeling good now. Like, I really feel like I'm, you know, I'm ready. And then, yeah, I want to race. And it's a really, it's a mixture of that and, and, and confidence in the sprints. So if you don't have the confidence in the sprints, it's just, you overthink everything and everything has to happen within like milliseconds. So you really just want to be an autopilot and let your, you know, it's like, let your, your body take over and, and it has to just act on instinct the whole time. Whereas if you're thinking about the decisions you have to make, once you've thought about it, whatever decision we're going to make, that opportunity is over. You know, if it's whether you go for a gap or go to a wheel, you have to think about that for half a second. Someone else has got the wheel already or someone else has gone through that gap. So everything has to be just like instinct and autopilot. Um, Talking about uh, preparation, training, feeling ready. Are you one of these uh, type of sprinters that goes to the gym weightlifting all season long or you stop once the cycling season starts? And if you keep going to the gym, just to impress our uh, listeners and viewers, how much you do on a leg press? Well, so gym was, I did the gym all my career until probably COVID. And then during COVID, I started going to the gym a lot again. But I was putting on a lot of muscle gaining muscle but not necessarily gaining power so i was just getting heavier but not really gaining the power to like push the extra weight 
And uh, for a while, then I said, all right, I'm going to stop gy- doing gym and just do all my all my strength and everything on the bike up until probably five or six weeks ago. And then I, now I've started back in the gym. Um, leg press. I'm trying to think. I was there yesterday. What I was doing. I don't even know. How much is the leg, the actual thing weigh without any weights on it? Oh, there's different ones, but I think, uh, well, just the bars, 20 kilos, plus the entire metal construction, make it 40 to 50, maybe just the empty thing. I I would guess. I think I had 60 kilos on there, but single leg. Yeah, that's good. Single leg is good. So. I would probably need both arms to do that. So, uh, and then squatting, <laughs> I was squatting a hundred kilos. Um, mm-hmm. but I know, like, I definitely know compared to some like track cyclists, it's uh, yeah, easy work those kind of numbers. But for me, I'm still kind of yeah. like building up. Well, plus you don't want to put on the weight again. Yeah. You want to find the balance between getting stronger without. Yeah. Adding some extra kilos, to yeah, you, right. That's it's a real fine line. So I put on muscle so easy, so it's just like a fine line between whether that muscle that I'm putting on is really translating into strength on the bike, which I think doesn't always necessarily come across like that. Yeah, I mean, with with the watt per kilo being so important, and you know, let me just preface this by saying, back when Jens and I were racing, sprinters were sprinters. Climbers were climbers, GC guys were GC guys. But now it just seems like these time trialists, these GC guys are also very, very, very good sprinters. And obviously they have more of a a physical ability to really put the hurt on you guys. And it always seems like, oh, this team is really dropping the hammer right now just to make the the sprinters suffer. So when, when you're training, are you... Like what is are what is what are you aiming for watts per kilo on say a 10, 15, 20 minute climb just to survive in the peloton to have a chance in in the sprint these days? Because you know, everybody says, Oh, he's a sprinter, he can't climb. But I totally disagree with that. I remember a lot of people used to say that about Mark Cavendish back in the day, but you guys still have to get over the bergs. You still have to absorb all those accelerations. Maybe you get a little tiny break and then all of a sudden you have to do a, you know, 200, 300, 400 meter, meter sprint. But what do you, do you know your Watts per kilo that you're, that you're aiming for in training just to kind of have the chance of being in the sprint these days? I think for like a 10 minute climb, it's like at least six Watts per kilo. Yeah. 10, 15 minutes. So, so folks go out and try to do that. Yeah. Um, and then call these guys. Or tell these guys that they can't climb. I mean, it is, it is, you got the, the, the deck stacked against you these days. It seems like, you know, the sprinters have it, yeah. getting it from every other way and then throwing those darn breakaway specialists, like this guy here, Yenzi and Derek G and, you know, all of a sudden you go from eight sprint stages to two or three yeah. and you guys got to perform. Yeah. Right. And there's only one winner. Yeah. I think like, to be honest, I think we're in like a hard a hard kind of time for for sprinters at the moment because there's a lot of good sprinters and a lot of races are kind of taking away a lot of those pure sprints. Like they always want to put like an obstacle or something at the end. So like 
you know, make it a little bit more exciting. And then that definitely suits guys like Van Poole, Van Art, Alaphilippe. You know, when there's like a 2K climb with 6K to go or something. Um, and yeah, when those guys go over those climbs, it's, for, I mean, for a lot of sprinters, it's, uh, it's too hard. Um, so I think like, even we saw in the Giro, there was, I don't know how many sprints there were, like maybe six sprints or something, but there was six different winners of those six sprints. That doesn't seem to be any more like, you know, cab going to the tour and winning six stages. Like, it just doesn't seem to happen so much anymore. Um, even at the tour last year, uh, Philipson won two, um, the year before actually cab won four, but that was a, there were a lot of sprints in, in that tour and he was, he was quite dominant. Um, but yeah, it's just seems like there's a lot of good sprinters and just not as many opportunities for sprints anymore. There, I have another question. For some years now, I sometimes I feel there's two types of sprinters. Um, there's the sprinters like you, like a really classical, typical sprinter, super fast. They can win in the first week when the sprints are done, let's say at 65, 70 kilometers an hour. And then... Their sprinters, they are really, really strong and undestructible, but not quick enough for the first week, like Alexander Christoph. Yeah. I don't think he can win in the first week, not against all the fresh guys like you or whatever. Robbie McEwen was one of them. Or Arno Demar. He, he doesn't win in the first week. He needs the mountains. Hopefully, a few of the other sprinters are out or tired, and then they can win. So would you think that's a development or is it just in my mind? I don't know, to be honest, because I actually, like, if I look back at the, the Grand Tour stages that I've won, they've all, most of them have been the second half of the Grand Tour. So maybe I'm also on the same kind of, maybe I'm one of those sprinters that likes it when the, yeah, when, when some of the other sprinters are a bit, you know, more tied legs. And because I think at the end of the day, like, I'm still a lot, probably a lot lighter than a lot of the sprinters. So although it is hard for me to get over the climbs, it's probably doing less damage than, you know, the sprinters that weigh 85 kilos. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely like, let's say like the stronger classics kind of guys, definitely uh, are stronger and better in the in the second half of this world compared to like the pure, pure sprinters. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I mean, like we say, yeah, it'd be hard for Christoph to win maybe in the first week, but then like a couple of years ago, he won the the first stage in, in Nice when I was a sprint. Um, so it's just, especially in a race like a tour, it's just a mess. Like you have to have so much luck as well. Um, everything to go right to, to be able to win the stage there. And uh, like we said, with lots of sprinters, really everything has to be perfect. Yeah. Gosh, it, it must must just be so stressful because you know you guys are judged in a matter of millimeters sometimes you know gc guys they got seconds maybe minutes but you guys you're one millimeter behind and you get second place you don't win and all the questions start i mean i've always had so much respect for the sprinter mentality because i i just don't get it but part of sprinting and winning a sprint comes from a good lead out How does the how do you prefer a lead out, um, especially building up for the the Tour de France 2023? And what kind of communication do you have to have with your teammates? Sometimes at 60, 70k an hour. Yeah, it's hard to communicate. Um, to be honest, it's like 
at the end of the race, they're like, there's just like no communication at all. You just like, everyone just has to know what to do. They have to be aware of what they're doing. They have to be aware if their sprint is on the wheel or not. Um, and it's a, it's a skill. Like lead out man, like a really good lead out man is a super, super skilled rider to be able to do a really good job. Um, and not, yeah, like a lot of guys are, aren't, aren't really cut out for it. You might have like the strength, the speed and everything to do it. But if you just don't like have that feeling with your sprinter and that fear, like it's just, I don't know how to explain it, but like, you know, Renshaw, for example, was, uh, was probably the best at it. He just was always calm in all these situations. Morkoff as well. Um, I followed him and his sprinter sometimes in the last part of the, the races when, when I've lost my lead out. And the way those guys do it is just, I don't know how they do it, but they always just get their sprints to where they need to be, whether they're following the lead out or whether they're, they've been left on their own. They always get their sprints to where they need to be. And it's, uh, it's pretty impressive without, and that's without any communication. They just know what to do and where to be. And when you feel, okay, it's a sprinter day and I feel good. When do you start to get serious? 20 kilometers to go at the start, at breakfast already? Or when you go, okay, today is the day, everything has to be perfect, the team. When you start to raise pressure on yourself and or on your teammates in the middle of the race or already at breakfast? Um, I would say that, I'd, like, I wouldn't, like, I feel the pressure on a sprint day. From the moment you wake up, you're like, all right. Especially in a big race. Mm. Like, let's, let's talk about the tour. Like, you wake up, you're like, all right. I got a lot of pressure on me today to, to deliver. Um, and everyone handles that differently. Like I, when I get like, when I'm under pressure, I tend to go pretty quiet, very serious, I guess, but I'm just kind of like in my own world. Um, and that's probably, yeah, from breakfast time onwards. And then, um, and then once we're in the race, it depends what the finals like, but, Now the tour is like the road's blocked with 50, 60, 70Ks to go. So it's like the race is really on from there. Like all the teams lined out across the road, can't really move up anymore. And it's uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But the tour is different to every other race, like probably a normal race. Sometimes you can move up, you know, like five or 10Ks to go. If you go to UAE when there's like six lane roads, You can sit at the back until 5k to go and, and make one big move to the front. But at the Tour, Giro, say the more important races where yeah, everyone's there, everyone wants to really win, everyone's got strong teams, it's really lined, lined out next to each other from at least 50k to go. But like I said before, sometimes you're losing by a millimeter, right? How do you keep your focus your what is your mentality like after coming after losing uh, a very close finish i mean is it like is it just aggravation and rage or is it like okay i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you tomorrow um how do you stay focused after a close uh, after a close loss it's annoying it's hard i had like a few real close ones this year um both times i thought i won and i was second the second one i even did a winner's interview and then had to do a second place interview afterwards. Like, but mm -hmm. the second, I have seen it. I commented. The second it. one was questionable. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I won that race, but anyway, um, the first one, yeah, I, I like, 
I couldn't see the difference. I don't know uh, how they saw the difference, but I couldn't see any difference. And the the cool thing about if they actually did what the rules say when they can't tell the difference is the two riders, like this is a UCI rule. If it's a dead heat, the two riders have to go back to the kilometers go mark and sprint it out again. No. What? That's official. Yeah. Wow. They can't tell the difference. The official rule is that they, the two riders have to go back to kilometers ago and do the sprint again. And I thought like, fuck, why don't you just do that? Like, that would be like in UAE when it was really cool. That would be so awesome. Yeah, like it was Merlia. And, yeah, that would Like be... Merlia and I just like two up, two up sprint going at it again to decide the stage. God, I learned I'm, something today. I'm wow. shocked. I never, ever, ever, ever heard of that. Me neither. And listen, I it's not like I want to go through that rule book of the UCI. I mean, it's pretty, pretty crazy. But wow, like you said, Yenzi, you learn something every day, right? Mm. Indeed. So um, while we're already talking at sprinting, Caleb, you have a specific style. You're very much forward, leaning down. You're super low, really little air resistance. Did you always sprint it like that or you learned that over the years? You adapted that style because you thought it's better for you? Already as a kid, you started like that. Uh, no, I, ne I didn't always sprint like that. This is not natural at all. Like, you know, when you sprint, you're kind of like as upright as possible because... You're just trying to get as, out as much power as possible. But um, I was in the wind tunnel and I was testing like all different positions. And uh, it was kind of like the last one we were like, all right, let's just see how aero we can get. So like just do it like a crazy position. And it was like a lot faster. So I was like, fuck it. And I'm going to try it on the road and see if I can do it. And uh, and you can, like, you can hardly get any power out in that position. Like when I'm really, really far forward, there's like, maybe you can do, I don't know, 800 watts, seven, 800 watts. Whereas if you're upright, you're doing like 1500, 1400, 1500. Um, but the whole idea of it was I was thinking like, when you do a long sprint, you can't really like keep the power down all the way to the line. Like as a sprinter can't just sprint complete max and keep the power down for 12 seconds. Like it'll, It'll peak and then it would like slowly start dropping off. And I was thinking like if I peak and then as I'm slowly dropping off, if I get more arrow, then I should hold the speed a lot better instead of staying upright and then fading towards the line. And that was like the whole idea of it. But a lot of my sprints like in the last few years have been, I've had to like come from the wheels. So I'm only like coming out like last minute. So my sprints haven't been that long. But if I do like a really long sprint, then I'll just get like, as soon as I feel my legs like starting to fade, I'll just get as aero as possible. And then just the aero compared to like the legs fading, should you should hold the speed all right. Or like you'll fade less than, than what you normally would. Again, I, I'm blown away. That sounds logical. Um, not many people would think of that. I never would say that that would be the explanation why you were sprinting so low, but Gosh, it's really smart. You you come off as being a very analytical guy. I mean, you're looking at data that I've never even heard of, and Jens and I have been around a little bit. I'm uh, that's a, gonna have that's to a write that that's write that down. Data. That's just that's just uh, me just coming up with that. I don't, that could be completely that it, could be completely wrong. There's no like numbers to 
to support that. That's just like my idea. <laughs> so, uh, well, hey, whatever floats yeah. your boat, man. It it's, works for yeah, you. Yeah. Keep keep going. So, hundred uh, uh, percent. Caleb, have you ever celebrated too early? Yeah. You know, we <clears> see <throat> this happen um, normally right at the line. I'll, I'm going to throw one of my XCSC teammates under the bus in uh, the 2007 um, tour of Georgia. We finished on circuits, and all of a sudden, we see Andy Schleck like take off down the side of the road, and we're like, "Wait, he knows there's one more lap, right?" And man, <laughs> he is full going, going, going. He rocks the baby. He throws his hands in the air. He punches, <laughs> and then we ride right by him. And man, he was a neo pro when this happened, so it was pretty tough. But that was that that could happen in America. But when you're coming and the Tour de France stages on the line are a big lot, uh, a big race. Are you just thinking about punching the air when, you're, when your wheel is in front of the other guy or are you making sure that your front wheel gets over that line first? Um, so to answer your first question, I have done that. I've, I've uh, saluted too early, but now I've learned my lesson. So... I was like, when was this? This was like 2017, maybe UAE tour. I'd done a sprint. I'd just like, I was sprinting. I think Cab was on my wheel and I was sprinting and I was holding him off. And I was like, all right, if Cab's not coming around me, no one's coming around me. So I like got into the line, went to salute and Kittle has just come out of nowhere and just picked me on the line. And it was like, you know, your arms are up and then you kind of like just look down under your arms and you see his wheel just cross line for, like in front of yours and you're like, oh, fuck. Like I really fucked this one up. Um, <laughs> it was one of those. But now I like, even if I'm, even if I'm really sure that I'm, I'm far ahead, I'll always just throw for the line anyway. Just because you never know, like nice. someone's coming with like heaps of speed from behind you. So I've definitely learned my lesson. I hope I never do it again because it's such a waste of a waste of a win. Um, but yeah, I think every every good sprinter has to has to have done it once in their career. Otherwise, your your career is not complete. We'll be back after this short break. Now back to our chat with Caleb. Um, Bobby, maybe now that would be the moment to ask you a special question. Oh, uh, I thought I put an X through that one. You you want me to? Ah. you want me to roll? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, Bobby. Yeah. Go. I don't have yeah. the balls to do it, but Bobby, you go. <laughs> All right, Caleb. This is serious now, right? The world knows that Mark Cavendish is retiring at the end of the year, and that he's still tied with Eddie Merckx for the record of Tour de France stage victories. It sounds like you have a lot of respect for Cav. Uh, I'm not sure of your your relationship, but if it comes down to the Champs Elysees this July, 2023, and Cav hasn't won a stage yet, and you've already won one or two, and it's coming into the final 200 meters on on the Champs, is it at all going to enter into your mind? That hey, normally I would close the door on Cav, but it's Cav, and if he comes around me, he wins and he sets the record. 
Or is it like, you don't care who's there. If you have the opportunity to shut that door, you're going to shut it. Even if it is Mark Cavendish going for his last ever and record-breaking win in the Tour de France. Am I, win- is- is, am I winning or am I just stopping him winning? Would how What would your mentality be? Um, yeah, that shows you how much I know about sprinting. But no, I mean, would you give him a little extra space? I mean, do you think Jose, that... Let's just um, wait, let's rephrase this for a second. Let's say Cav and I enter the Champs-Élysées first and second, crash third wheel. It's just us. It's between us. We're sprinting it out. Are you saying, would I ease off a little bit, let him win the stage to get the record? That's what I'm trying to get to in such a long-winded way. Fuck no. <laughs> that's a clear answer awesome. but you know what like I love Cav like we, we get on really well like I really really like Cav but fuck no like Sean Slice I've got a family to feed so I'm winning as much as possible and uh, I've given this example before I said like you know what like when I'm talking about winning like I want to win so bad like I'm purely a bike rider to win races. Like once I stop winning races, cycling's done for me. Like I enjoy winning more than I enjoy, let's say cycling. But I want to win so bad that like I gave this example about Champs-Élysées as well. If my dad was also a cyclist and his dream was to win on the Champs-Élysées and we're sprinting it out and it was just going to be like, if I could just like ease off for him and he would win, fuck, I'm not easing off. If he can't beat me, he can't beat me. If I work harder to win the race, then I've worked hard to win the race. Well, I'm I'm gonna say something that would be an absolute dream then. You guys finish in a dead heat, you go back to the kilometer flag, <laughs> we all get there, everyone's on the side of the road, and then you guys sprint it out, and then what happens happens. But um man, I, I can't imagine how you can be friends with another sprinter who has the same objectives, the same pressure, the same mouths to feed at home. I mean, you guys, you guys are gentle giants, you know, off the bike and on the bike, you're just these ironclad warriors that just get after it. And I got to commend you guys for um, respecting each other as much as you do. Yeah. I mean, that respect doesn't go for everyone, but Kevin and I are pretty good friends, I'd say. Not friends with all the sprinters, but we all, I feel like we all have like a pretty mutual respect between each other. I couldn't say there's any sprinters that I absolutely hate, but uh, yeah, I mean, whether another sprinter is your best friend or not, you're not giving them any room. Once you're in the race, you're in the race and yeah, you know, you're both there. You both know you're there to win and that's it. You can't... Uh, yeah, you can't let what happens in the race, you know, get between you out of the race. So everyone knows. Well, plus you probably had seven teammates who worked all day for you, so they expect you to win. If you give it away, they go, "Ah, we just worked five hours for you, but yeah. you gave it away." So yeah, I'm on your side. Um, you don't give any presents, but also you don't expect any presents. Yeah. Um, now that we talked uh, about the distress of sprinting. What's your point of view of all this GC riders be there with their trains and whatnot? They want to stay safe. I mean, now that I'm a commentator, sometimes it looks 80 people 
get in their ear, be in a top 20. Bloody hell, that doesn't work. 80 people don't fit in the top 20. Would you see an easy solution there? Let's say take the time for the GC rider at five kilometers to go. Like every team can nominate one GC candidate. The time is taken at 5K to go on, on a sprint day, of course, only. Would that make it safer? Or you, go, you know what? I, I don't mind. They do their job. I do my job. What's your take there? Um, I hate it when the sprint, uh, the, the GC riders are up there <laughs> in the way... A lot of the time, they don't handle the bike maybe as good as maybe like what a sprinter would, um, especially when the argy-bargy starts to happen. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's annoying and it's dangerous. Um, but I don't know, to be honest, I don't know what the what the solution is. Um, you, know, this, you know, if you make it 5K to go where the time's taken, then all the stress is going to be into 5K to go. 10k so the time's taking it's all, all the stress is going to be into 10k to go at the end of the day it's bike racing but you can't take that away like part of gc winning is you stay out of trouble you have to have some luck on your side that's what makes the sport exciting if you take away all the luck and everything and it's just robots that win the race then it's boring so as much as it is annoying for me and probably the other sprinters and probably the gc riders as well We're all in each other's way. Um, that's just part of racing. And is if they try to take more and more of this stuff away, then you're going to basically, we may as well race on, uh, on Zwift. So, yeah. Well, I was never up there in the, the full-on sprint mosh pit. But nowadays, with the onboard cameras, we get to see what you guys are having to deal with up there um from our couches right and honestly it scares the crap out of me but when you're up there elbow to elbow um jamming into a final turn you know 1k to go we see what we see and it looks like absolute just danger danger will robinson sort of scenarios but what do you feel does that is that fun is that exciting Or are you crapping your pants just like us watching you guys on TV? No, it's exciting. Yeah, I love it. It's like, I love it until maybe if you know if you crash, it's not so fun anymore. But if you uh, if you get through it unscathed and you look back at it, you're like, fuck, that was uh, that was pretty exciting. And you have to kind of love, it. you have to embrace it. Like if you go through there like shitting yourself, then it's all over because. As soon as you don't, you start taking you know less risks, or you don't have a bit of a fight there or here or whatever, you let the gap go, then you know you get you get shuffled back through the bunch so quickly. Um, so you have to enjoy it, you have to embrace it, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think most sprinters, whether they admit it or not, enjoy the the fight to to get into position. So I guess that probably answers my next question. Um, me with six kids. Every child born, I did break two meters earlier on each turn. Uh, is that is that the case for you or not at all? You completely blend it out. I'm in the race. I'm a warrior in the race. And I don't think about uh, family. But I couldn't help myself to break always a little earlier knowing about all my kids at home. Yeah. And I think like maybe for you breaking like two meters earlier 
isn't going to make the difference between whether you're going to win or lose the race. Whereas for me, it does. It makes all the difference. Um, and I think probably with age, you become maybe a little bit more cautious. So you have to kind of try to block it out a little bit. Um, and yeah, you know, I've got, I've got two kids now, third one coming in a few months. At the end of the day, you, you always, you know, you want to come home to your kids, not covered in bandages. But I think at that point in the race where you're, you're just so focused on the, on, you know, on the job that you need to do, get to the finish line. Like, let's say like the last five, 10 Ks, you're not really thinking about that stuff. Where I would say I, I, I'm more cautious is probably when I'm in Gruppetto flying down a mountain and I know maybe breaking two meters or three meters or 10 meters earlier before a corner instead of going into it way too hot where I can kind of take less risks, I will. Even during the stage where it's not going to be the difference between winning or losing, I'll take less risks. But at the end of the race, I'm not thinking like, I've got kids at home, like I need to be careful here because at the end of the race, you can't be careful. Where It's dangerous wherever you are, so you have to uh, have to kind of block that out of your mind and um, just keep doing the job. Well, now that you mentioned that life, that, that time in the Gruppetto, and to our listeners that don't know, the Gruppetto is kind of like the main group that's near the back of the race that are just trying to finish the stage in order to take the, the start the next day. Inside the head of a sprinter, when you're coming into one of those two, three, four-day blocks where it's just going to be mountain stage after mountain stage, um, where all you have to do is survive, get there before the time limit, right? But you just said when you were sprinting, you had that stress of winning. What is it like to have the stress of doing one of those two to four day blocks in the mountains where you're kind of struggling going uphill. What, 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 what is your mentality there that keeps you, keeps you dialed in? Hmm. That is the, probably the hardest part about riding for me. And it's pretty fresh in my mind because last year I probably had, I, I struggled through the tour more than I had any other grand tour or any other time that I've done the tour. Because there was points where I think there was a stage where I got dropped 195k to go by myself and the bunch was still intact. So there wasn't any dropped riders, it was just me. And mentally, that is so hard. You're on your own. There's like, you know, there's so far to go. Obviously, if you're getting dropped, then you feel like absolute shit. And at that point, my team had given the orders for my teammates to not drop back for me so i was like probably like 40 or 50 k's on my own still going hard and the car kept coming up to me like do you want to keep going do you want to stop and it's probably like the worst thing to ask someone because at the time like you're suffering so much and you've got so far to go you're on your own i was already like 10 minutes out the ass and you want to like you want to take any easy option out like, if you drop that far, I crashed the day before as well. There's like, if I pulled out then, no, you know, no one's gonna be pissed. It's just like, you know, you crashed. I had a good excuse to pull out. 
crash day before, I got dropped 195k to go. I could have just pulled out and it would have been easy. But just, I've pulled out of races before and I know the feeling and I'm just like, fuck, I just don't. If I can keep pedaling, if I can keep going another 10Ks, just keep going until I can't go anymore. And if I don't make it, I don't make it. But like at that point when you're asking me, I can still go for another K. So I'm going to go another K and just keep going, keep going. In the end, they they realize like, all right, he's probably not going to stop. So let send people back to, to help him. Our teammates waiting on the side of the road for me for 15 minutes. I like three teammates that unclipped, stopped on the side of the road. Because I was the only rider dropped on this particular stage. And it was just like, I mean, for them, it's torture as well. Like when you can sit in a bunch and then you have to drop back, just swap off for the whole day. But um, but yeah, that was just one, one of the days. There's, I mean, plenty like that where Gruppetto, if you if I make Gruppetto, I'm fucking cheering because then you're with a group. <laughs> when you get dropped with more Gruppetto, fuck, it's hard. Mentally, it's hard. Like super, super hard. Um. And, uh, yeah, just, I got through, I got through last year's tour, didn't win anything, which is a bit shit, but, um, you know, when there's still like that hope that, you know, we always have the Champs-Élysées at the end of the, and the tour says always one last chance on the last day. And as long as there's some hope, then you just have to, uh, have to keep going unless the, your body's like, it can't, can't go another pedal stroke. But as long as it can, then uh, then yeah, you have to keep going. Otherwise, at the end of the day, deep down, you know, even if everyone else understands and they're okay with it, deep down, you know, like, fuck, maybe I could have made it. And you have to live with that. So it's just, uh, I prefer, if I can make it, I prefer just to, even if it's going to be hell, I prefer just to try. I couldn't agree more. I had one or two abandons and I still feel them today. You're feeling like you let yourself down, let your team down, and yeah. what if if I would have kept going? Yeah, and yeah, it, it, it lasts a very long time. This negative feeling, so I I feel you. If, if you're not strong enough and you're out of the time limit, that's it. You did all you could. Yeah. So I'm 100 with you. So for actually, now that you said there's so much more to be a sprinter with the suffering the mountains, I actually have to say you far away, so you cannot punch me by saying this now. <laughs> For many years of my career, actually, I thought a sprinter's job is this. 195 kilometers, you hide in a bunch, adjust the gel in your hair, and change your sunglasses, and then you hit the win. 200 meters to go. You get to win at all the glory. And like, man, a sprinter's life is so awesome. You just work for 200 meters. But as I just learned, there's much more to it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's easy to see the, let's say, the good parts. And... uh I mean, they don't really show the Gruppetto and how much we really, really suffer in the mountains. But I think if they did film us all day and you saw how much we, we had to suffer to get through the mountains, then uh, then people would, yeah, appreciate our job maybe a bit more. But, um, but yeah, in general, like, you know, that's what it is. We, we hit the winds 150 meters ago, 200 meters ago, um, and we get all the glory. And uh, sometimes it yeah it seems not fair. Yeah, you have your team working for you all day. Um, they make all the sacrifices as well. 
They have to be away from their families. They train super hard. All this to to deliver you to the line and then you're on the podium with the flowers and all the glory and everyone telling you how, how great the job was that you did. But there was people for 100, 100 kilometers, 150 kilometers, 200 kilometers before that that did much more work than you on the day. But um, yeah, I feel lucky that I'm the one that, that gets to finish it off. But um, yeah, I definitely appreciate my, my teammates and, and everything they have to do to, to be able to deliver me. Well, talking about filming and creating characters and giving the normal layperson a little bit more information about our sport, the Netflix series Unchained is due to be released pretty soon. Um, were you involved in the filming of this last year? And what do you what do you think about um, it? I, I'm not in it, I don't think. Well, no, I know I'm not in it because I didn't get interviewed for it. But I, I think it was like eight teams they followed or something. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, what I think about, I think it can be, it's, it all depends on, um, on who they've followed because there's some writers that are really boring kind of people. And I think you need to have like kind of characters to bring the sport up. So it depends on who they followed. Um, but I think it can be good for the sport. Uh, like if you've seen like what they've done with the formula one, it's really grown the sport, but obviously Formula One was already a, a huge sport. Um, and I've seen they've done it with, like I think, tennis and golf as well. And I don't know if it's been as much of a hit, but um, maybe for this sort of France, you know, everyone, it's a sporting event that everyone knows. Uh, even if you're not a cycling fan, you kind of still follow the tour. So I think it has the potential to be really good for the sport, but um, I hope the, the more boring riders don't... Uh, don't ruin it so but we'll see um at the tour now coming up um i guess all sprinters gonna be pretty much on top of their game what do you think how and when is it decided who wins best lead out best lead out man the most daring rider the luckiest one the one with the most knowledge or the one that did value viewers on google maps and wind finder and all that before to know everything what do you think makes the difference? Because all you guys are pretty brilliant. I think it comes down to, you, yeah, you have to be in really good shape, which, like you said, most most of the guys are. Then it just comes down to luck huh. and skill, but a lot of luck. A lot of the top sprinters, they know where they need to be. Um, we all know where we need to be, but we need to have like that little bit of luck on our side as well um to be in the right position not to be behind a crash all that kind of stuff um so i think luck it comes down to a lot of luck if you're the type of sprinter that knows where they need to be some sprinters don't really kind of know how to position themselves but a lot of them do and then yeah it's like now it's hard like for me for example like i know if i go hit out in a sprint too early I know there's going to be a really good sprinter behind me that's lining me up. And as soon as I start to fade or like if I go on too early, they're just going to come around me. So it's all about timing it perfectly as well. Um, and I think like sometimes the best thing about sprinting and sometimes it's the worst thing about sprinting is that you can win a sprint with like 80% form, but you can be in a hundred percent form and be the best sprinter there and not win anything. So that's just 
like I said, can be the, can be a good thing when you're at eighty percent form. You know, you can like, all right, if I play this right, I can still win. Whereas you know, for a climber, if he's at eighty percent, fuck, you know, everyone gets shown when they're when it's all about watts. But when it when a lot of it comes down to skill and positioning and everything, and it's not just pure power, then uh, then yeah, you can win with uh, not as much form as another guy. Caleb, I want to go back in time here, just uh, towards the end, and and ask you a question. So when I was at Team Sky, uh, you were a very young rider, you were a junior, and I got a call from Dave Brailsford. He mentioned your name, gave me your email address, your cell phone number, and said, hey, just look in on this kid a little bit. He's coming over to Europe. Let's make sure that we give him a little bit of support. And I hung up the phone going, wait, we're looking at juniors now? Like, wow, there's so many great riders out here. We're already looking at juniors. So you were one of those guys, the first guys, the first that I ever came into contact with that we were starting to at least support at a very young age. Um, And I remember one time in particular, you called me up and you said, Bobby, I crashed my bike. I don't have a bike. I flew all the way over here. I broke my fork. And we wound up getting you Richie Port's spare time trial, uh, spare spare bike, and you just jumped on it and, and kept winning. But so you've lived through that. So you lived with the pressure at 16 years old with some of the best teams looking at you. And I'll admit it, you never rode for Team Sky, right? You signed for, for Green yeah. Edge. And the overall kind of opinion and you proved them wrong let me say that straight up front was the opinion was that you were 16 years old 17 years old and you were already living like a professional and that you wouldn't get that much better and yeah you blew that out of the water right you've had a very long and successful career one stages in each grand tour but now that that's happening more and more frequently do you have any bit of advice for those young kids that are already going to these training camps of these world tour teams at the age of 16 and 17? Because you lived it. You you were one of the success stories, but I'm sure there was a lot of kids that just couldn't, you know, deal with that. Um. Yeah, I guess like now it's common like to even see a, a junior. Uh, have there been any world tour juniors yet? I think if there hasn't, there's probably almost going to be one sooner sooner rather really? than later. But definitely guys that come straight from juniors to world tour. There's definitely been a lot of guys like that kind of recently. Um, and guys, yeah, getting signed from juniors. It's just kind of getting younger and younger. And I guess, yeah, I was probably one of the the first ones because, yeah, usually a world tour team wouldn't be looking at a junior because like kind of like what they were saying, there have been like a lot of great juniors world champions whatever and you think like oh my god this guy's gonna be amazing and then once they leave home or like for australians for example like when they come to europe they just can't handle it and then it's just like career over um but i feel like the the younger juniors now they seem like they're a bit more they're like very focused and like like you were saying, like I lived kind of like a professional, but compared to these guys, like fuck, nowhere, nowhere near the intensity that those guys live through now. Like it's crazy. Like I was still kind of like a kid then, but these guys just seem, I don't know, 
there's like no stone unturned. It's just they do everything. Like I'd say even more so than what like what I'd be right now. Like everything with their data positions, just everything's dialed. So uh, I would probably have maybe more of a fear for those guys now, like the same kind of fear that Sky would have had with me. Um, like where do they have that much improvement? And uh, I don't know. At the moment, it seems like they do because you see guys like Remco and um, Podjikar and it's crazy. How could they go from, from such a young age? Um, but I guess we'll see in the next kind of five or 10 years whether that kind of intensity from like winning the Tour de France when you're 21, like can you still be winning the Grand Tour when you're 36, 37? Um, who knows? We'll find out. We'll find out soon. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I actually never knew that. I never knew that uh, was uh, was the reason why I never never really rode for Sky. I thought it was just kind of like a timing wasn't right kind of thing. But uh, yeah, interesting. So you are still in the middle of your career and um, looking back at it a little bit because we slowly come to an end of our time with you. Is there any of your wins that comes to your mind where you go, yep, that was the one where it was totally unexpected or it was perfectly planned and executed? Is there one moment where you go, yep, that was just perfection or pure happiness? Um, winning on the Champs-Élysées. My, my first Tour de France. The, like... I mean, both of you guys have done it. That moment where you roll onto the Champs-Élysées for the first time, it's just like, fuck, it's crazy. It's just like you have that 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 image from like watching the tour when you're a kid, just like the whole bunch kind of rolling on and like, like fuck, I'm here now. Like, I'm I'm here rolling onto the Champs-Élysées. That was kind of like, I felt like more emotional doing that than actually winning the stage. But, uh, but yeah, that was uh, probably the, yeah the best moment for me in my career. I already had, yeah, I already won two stages beforehand. This was my third stage win for the tour. It was my first tour. So, uh, yeah, that'll, that's the moment that I, I think, yeah, was the, the moment of my career so far. Wow. The crown jewel of, of cycling. And you're absolutely right. You just started to give me, um, the hair on my arm started to stand up. Just remembering the smell, the feel, the silence, the open road. I mean, they only close that road like two to three times a year. And one of them is for us to ride around for an hour and a half. Yeah. So, oh yeah, man, it must've been amazing. But Caleb, thank you so much for your time. We know it's getting late there. We really appreciate everything and and all these great stories and getting inside the, the mind of a sprinter a little bit. So, hey, listen, All the best with your build-up to the Tour of Belgium, the Tour de France, and and the rest of your career. And congratulations uh, on your your third child coming up here. Thank you. Uh, you got you're only halfway there as far as Jens is concerned. Yeah. So uh, you got, got, got it. How many do go. you have by the time you're 28, Jens? Oh, 28. Oh, I think we are pretty much there. I think I had three as well. Probably the same reason like nice. you. Yeah. I was having six. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's plenty of is time. It, is it manageable? Oof. <laughs> you know, when you have two kids, you play like in terms of soccer or Aussie football, you play, you cover the other player, yeah. right? 
but with three kids or four, you're outnumbered. So you got to be room defense, like space defense. You got to, okay, the kid is going to be in three and a half seconds over there. So I got to run there to be there when the kid is coming around to that corner. So it's, it's, it's hard. One thing is you and your wife have to be a unit. You can never be separated by the kids. Yeah, but mom, dad told me we do this. No, 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 no. So you got to be one strong unit okay. because the kids will play you against each other, <laughs> right? Yeah, they already do it. They already do it. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yeah. hey, just a, a, a question that always interests me. If then that with the bike and cycling wouldn't have worked, what would have been your dream job? I reckon I, like anything. Anything you I could choose. I think I would have been a chef. I love cooking. Oh, wow. I think so, yeah. That's the first time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think. I don't know. I never gave it any thought. I was just bloody focused on focused on cycling. But I love cooking, so I'm going to say uh, a chef. Okay. What would you cook yourself when you just won on the Champs-Élysées if you just took that private jizzy from Paris back to Monaco and... What would that meal be for you that you would cook yourself? Oh, damn, I'd probably have like all my friends over and have like a big barbecue or something. I love cooking on the barbecue. Love it. And I love like cooking for heaps of people. Like I love having heaps of friends over and just like making a feast. It's a bit boring when you cook like one steak on the barbecue. But if you like cooking heaps of stuff, mm -hmm. it's good. I, I, You just gave me an under, underhanded softball pitch here. Um, do you cook shrimps on the barbie? <laughs> Oh no, my God! That yeah, exists. You know, shrimps are Australian. <laughs> yeah, Prawns. You guys Prawns. have been so misrepresented in our media campaigns over here because uh, do not evidently that's shrimps. what you guys do. It's prawn. Ooh. But will we cook? Put a prawn on the barbie. Cook some prawns on the barbie. See, my wife doesn't like seafood so much. I love seafood, but you know, if I'm cooking the two, I'm not going to cook prawns because she doesn't like them. All right. Well, thank you again awesome. for coming on, Bobby and Jens. We can't wait to watch you win bike races, have six kids, cooks, and just be happy the rest of your life. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Caleb for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Bello News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. We discovered there's a crazy rule that decides a tie break. What is the mad rule in sport that you didn't know existed? Let us know by messaging at Bobby and Jens on Twitter and Instagram.